you're up on Facebook, I gave you a little introduction on this. But if you are not a child, how would Ephesians 6.1 benefit you? What does it have to teach you? And we're actually going to see that there's a good bit, actually, because this word for obey is actually very fascinating. And we're going to show you a, uh, a bunch of things from this. So we're going to do one of those little word studies on this particular word. And we're also going to learn some things about the word that was not used. Both of those things will help us. So, last uh, couple of times we looked at wives are to submit. So we looked at the word for uh, the word of God for our example of submission to God, because you're our definition of submission, my definition of submission. Anybody who wants to try and counsel wives and husbands, their definition makes no difference. The example is us to God, us to Jesus. So we have to look at that as an example. So if I would do something to Jesus, or if I would not do it, that would define submission for me. And so we use that as our example in there. But I uh, was doing some thinking on this based on some of the questions that had come. And so I wrote this down after the last one. Not obeying can be by a submitted person as long as a disobedience comes from submission to a higher authority. Submission to self is just selfishness. So sometimes people will say, well, I'm not going to submit to that, but they're not submitted to another authority that's telling them something different. I'm supposed to be submitted to this authority, but I have decided I don't want to. That is selfishness. But if a higher authority, if God has instructed me something, and it goes against what a government authority would tell me to do, I can disobey the government authority by obeying and being in submission to God. So that's not obeying can be uh, done by a submitted person as long as the disobedience comes from submission to a higher authority. Now husbands are to agape or love their wife as Christ agapes or loves the church. So we looked at examples of how Jesus loves the church because no matter how many people have an opinion on how husbands are to love their wives, no matter how many wives have opinions about how their husbands are to love them, all that matters is how does Jesus love the church. So we looked at examples for that. So this week, as we look at children are to obey, you can kind of guess where we're going. So Ephesians 6, verse 1 through 3, we'll read these first. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. So as we said, wives are to submit, but children are to obey. That is the command. Submission necessitates knowledge. If you're going to submit, there must be some knowledge there. Children do not have enough knowledge. They don't know enough. So since children do not know enough, there's not enough for them to walk in submission or willingly put themselves into submission because of their lack of knowledge. That's why the Word tells them, children, obey your parents in the Lord. It doesn't tell them to submit to the parents because they don't have the knowledge enough to do that. Now, the word here for obedience is, uh, I believe just from the listing in Vines, this is the most used of the word obedience in the New Testament. And I spelled it out for you there in English, and this is one of those reasons why I don't like Greek words spelled out in English. Because if I were to look at that word 
the way it's spelled out there, and I don't spell it out that way, that's where it comes from, all the, the Greek helps and things like vines, I would say that is hypokuo. Because that's how it looks. And that is not the word at all. It is hupakuo. So I don't know why they do it that way, but I just left it that in the way it was spelled out. Because if you ever go into uh, something like a vines or some kind of a... Uh, 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 help that has it spelled out in English, you're going to see it spelled this way and you're going to think that I gave you something different or looked at a different word, so I didn't want that kind of confusion. But uh, there is no real why in Greek, so why in the world is in there, I don't know. I looked through a whole lot of definitions trying to get a really good de uh, feel for what this word means. And one obscure place that I found... Uh, I found this definition, and this was good. So I wrote it in here for your outline because I wanted you to get it. You won't find this in all the main things that you have to go find a Greek thing on. You'll find something similar, but this is the simplest definition that I could find to give you a really good understanding of what this word means. This word means obedience that comes from hearing. Obedience that comes from hearing. Another one puts it this way, one who is under an authority and listens to their instructions as commands. One who is under an authority and listens to their instructions as commands. It comes from two Greek words. It is a compound word. It comes from the Greek, Greek, Greek word to hear and the Greek word under. Basically, it is to hear under. It means, as if you look at the Strong's definition for this, it means to listen attentively by implication to heed or conform to a command or authority. Hearken, be obedient to, or obey. Most of the time you see this word in the English New Testament. It is translated obey. A better word in the English would be heed. From all the definitions and all the looking up that I have done on this particular Greek word, if we would have translated it heed, it would have been better than obey. But they didn't do that. Now, they, what is sometimes very telling in, in Greek, and I do this often whenever I'm looking at a word and really want to get the understanding of it, is not only what word did you use, but what word did you not use? Because by looking at the words that they did not use, you will understand what kind of a meaning that they're trying to convey. So there are a couple of words that they had a uh, choice here. Primarily one. There are actually two different words they could have used, but primarily you're going to see this one. And that is the Greek word uh, pytho. It means to persuade, to win over, or in the passive and middle voices, to be persuaded, to listen to, or obey. The obedience suggested is not by submission to authority, but resulting from persuasion. So this word you would use if someone heeded or listened to what was being asked of them because they were talked into it or they were persuaded. That is the big difference with this. That, that definition I read for you, that came out of Vines. If you want to go look that up for yourself, that definition was a was from the Vines book. You also see this note when you see the word uh, pytho. 
pytho and pisteo are closely related etymology, etymologically, with a difference in meaning being that the former or pytho implies obedience from the latter. Both these words have a lot of the same uh, breakdown. They come from uh, some of the same roots. The, the etymology is, is very, very similar to these. But because of the, and pisteo is it's a word for trust, because of the trust that is built, you have an easier time to persuade someone to, to obey. So this is the word that was not used. It was not used to persuade. The word that is used is to heed the things that are spoken. Or again, as we wrote it out for you, obedience that comes from hearing. By contrast, pytho would be obedience that comes from persuasion. So there you can kind of just break down the real, real easy to see the difference between the two. We are not looking at obedience that comes from persuasion. We're looking at obedience that comes from hearing. So the word that he uses here, children, obey your parents. It is not the job of the parents to persuade the children into obedience. It is the job of the children to heed the words of the parents. That is where this word is, is being used. Uh, there is another word to use, and that is uh, very similar to the one we just gave you. It is another compound word, and that is pytharcheo. It means to obey, it comes from the two words to obey, which we just covered, pytho, and rule, arche. It means to obey one in authority, basically because they are in authority. So if we're talking about obeying one in authority, they would use this word. This word was not used for the children to obey their parents. We're not talking about obedience because of authority. We're talking about obedience because you heed the things that are spoken. If you see the word for disobey, very often it is the word pytho with a negative a in front of it, or apa, which makes the, the word actually apatheo. They put a little extra sound there at the end. This is to disobey when you see disobey, very often it will be this word. I'm not saying it's exclusively this one. But these are the words for obey that are used in the New Testament. Now, here's the thing I want you to take a look at. And this is where you will begin to learn some things for those of you that are not children, which pretty much everybody here. <laughs> but for those that are listening online, I'm sure we're going to have some others that are, that are not children either. And this will, will help us to understand. In Mark chapter 1, verse 27, I gave uh, Daryl the option to put these up on the screen or not, because there's a lot of them. If you don't get all of them, let me know. You know, I'll, I'll make up a separate sheet, email it to you, or uh, you can come up here and take a look at them. Mark chapter 1, verse 27. Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. In other words, the unclean spirits heed what is spoken. They do not heed what is persuaded. You look at some of the people that try and cast out demon spirits and they are persuading them to go. Listen to their words. They're trying to persuade them. They're trying to be more authoritative. 
They're trying to do all these different things to persuade them to go. That is not the word that is used. It could have been because the Greek has a word for it. But they didn't use that. They said, He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey Him. This is not even the author using this word. This is the people watching what is going on. And the people watching what Jesus is doing are saying, the demon spirits, He does not persuade them to leave. The demon spirits heed what He says. There's another time when this exact same thing is done, I believe in Matthew. It's exactly the same word. So it's not, uh, doesn't change. Mark chapter 4, verse 41. And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? In other words, he didn't persuade the wind and the sea to obey him. He spoke the word and the wind and the sea heeded the things that he said. Luke 17, 6. So the Lord said, If you have faith as the mustard seed, you can say that this mulberry tree be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. So when Jesus is teaching this about the, uh, about the um, uh, mulberry tree being pulled up, He is not saying persuade the mulberry tree into submission. He is saying it will heed the things that you say. Now, this is a big problem for people who pray and ask God for things. What they're supposed to do is command. But if I simply stay here and ask God, oh God, move here. Oh God, do this. Oh God, heal this one. When I'm supposed to be the one commanding, God is not subordinate to you. God is, is not there to heed the words that you speak. God is there. He gave us our authority. And we are to speak these things. But God is not subordinate to us. But these things are. These, we got three things here. The unclean spirits, the sea, and this uh, mulberry tree. And if you keep on digging into it, you're going to find other places that He spoke to and they obeyed Him. If you don't speak to them, they have no command to obey. This is why the devil loves to get people into the thing where they're always asking God to do things that God has put in their hands to speak to so that they would obey. If he can get you to shut your mouth and not speak things, then those things have nothing to obey. It's not that it's God's will. As many times that God or that Jesus came on the scene and something was going on that apparently was against God's will, but until Jesus spoke, it didn't change. We saw that in the example with the demon spirit. And we saw that in the example of the wind and the waves. Those are things that obviously God didn't want to go on. Otherwise, they wouldn't have changed. But until Jesus spoke to it, they continued to go on. So the things in our life that God does not want to go on will continue to go on until we get to the place where we speak to them to give those things something to heed. All right, let's keep going. If I don't speak them, but I speak to God, I am not yielding to God. I am not yielding to His Word because He told us what to speak. He told us who and what to speak to. 
and he gave us Jesus as an example to follow. If I am not walking in submission to his word, to his commands, to his will, to the things he wrote to us about, to the things that he gave us an example for in Jesus, if I am not submitted to it, there's where a problem comes in. I'm going to do it my way. Well, I think I ought to just ask God and then God ought to operate. You know, God ought to do it. And that's why it's not changing for you. Romans 6, 12 and 16 through 17. All in Romans 6. We're going to read three verses here. Verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. This is our word here for obey. That means sin in your body is rising up and giving you a command. Do this. Don't you want to do this? Look at that. Go ahead and do that. Go ahead and step out. Go ahead and do this thing over here. And he is saying it this way. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. Your, your uh, sin is going to try and rise up on the inside. Sin is going to try and speak to you to tell you things to heed. But don't give in to that. You know, if our flesh didn't rise up and tell us things, if sin didn't rise up and tell us things to do, we wouldn't have any problem with it. <coughs> Verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. So here's our word for obey here. Uh, we see it three times. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? Whoever it is that you heed the words spoken, you are slaves of that one to obey. Uh, does that mean we're slaves of God? Well, that's what the uh, author James says. He says, I'm a bond slave. <laughs> I'd rather be a slave of God than a slave to sin or a slave to my, my flesh. But whichever one that you decide to obey, and you're going to decide to obey one, either the Word's going to rise up in you, and it's going to speak to you, and you're going to heed obedience to it, or your flesh is going to rise up in you, and you're going to heed obedience to that. And he's telling you right there in Romans, whichever one you decide to obey, that's the one that you're going to be subject to. That's the one you're going to become enslaved to. Romans 10, 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? See, there's a report that went out. And then you could choose to obey it. You could choose not to. Philippians 2 and verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So he's using this particular word to show that I have said things to you, whether I am there or whether I'm absent, those things are still there. And you either heed them or you don't. Other people sometimes would come in and they would speak things. And they would sometimes heed them instead of the things that Paul had taught them. And this is what he's telling them. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. The Philippians did better than some other places. We know some places he wrote to Galatians. He had taught them. They were walking in obedience to that. Then all of a sudden somebody else came along and taught them something else. And they came into obedience to that. The Thessalonians, he taught them about end times and they walked in obedience to that until somebody came along and told them something different. No, you're in the tribulation now. Then they walked in obedience to that and they got into, into trouble. They heeded something different. In Colossians 3.20, Children, obey your parents in all things, 
for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Same word he's using there in Colossians that he used over here in Ephesians. Hebrews 11.8 By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. So by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out. He heeded the thing that was spoken to him. Going into the uh, Septuagint and looking how the Septuagint used, because as you know, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. So these are verses where they use this word to uh, translate the word obey, or in our first case, heed. In Genesis 16.2, So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham heeded the voice of Sarai. He didn't question it. He just heeded it. Genesis 22:18. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. This word for obey is our Greek word that we are looking at. Because you obeyed my voice. You heeded the things spoken. 26 verse 5, Abraham, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Genesis 39.10, so it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day, this is the wife of Potiphar, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, she kept making this, this, uh, uh, command, this, this request, this suggestion, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. She spoke, he didn't heed her. He heed what she said. He heeded the things that he knew to do from God. So he didn't become enslaved to this. He stayed true to what God had said. One more, Proverbs 17, verse 4. An evildoer gives heed to false lips. An evildoer gives heed to false lips. A liar listens eagerly to a spiteful tongue. So these are some of the places where it is used. You can go off and uh, do some more looking up on, uh, on others. You're going to see this same theme going on. It is to listen to or to heed something that is spoken. It's not a persuasion. These are not things that God's trying to persuade you. He is saying it. You decide, I'm going to be subordinate to that. I'm going to listen to that. I'm going to do it. So the children are not to walk in such a way, well, mom and dad convinced me that I should do this. And nor is God there to try and convince us. If we want the, the blessing, then we need to heed the things that we are commanded. So too, your flesh, the sin nature, the evil one, demon spirits, sickness and disease, we're not here to persuade them to go and they're not going to be persuaded by our long prayers. They're not going to be persuaded by a forceful tone. They're going to be persuaded because of your words. You speak the words that God told you to speak. You're under Him, so you speak words that He gave us to spoke. You speak to those situations that He told us to speak to. Now it says here, Let's go back and read our main thing. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. So he says there to honor your father and mother. Children may not understand why their parents make the decision that they do, but they are to honor them. I don't understand why mom and dad want me to do this. I don't understand why this is going on, but I will go ahead and, and honor that. Now, as a, as, as a precaution, moms and dads, you are those children's example of God. How you respond to God will teach your children how they should respond to you. If you're always questioning God, if you're not doing the things that God has said to do, then your children are going to look at that and say, if you don't do the things that God is telling you to do, why do I have to do the things that you're telling me to do? And we're not having that, that example that should be set there. If you disgrace the decisions, you dishonor the decision maker. Don't, don't walk in that way. Don't walk to disgrace the decisions. Don't walk to disgrace the things that God has spoken to you. Show everyone that's around you, everyone that's watching you, show them, I honor the things that my Father says. If you honor them, you walk in blessing from the decision maker. So the same way that the children, if they honor the parents, will walk in blessing. If you honor the things that God has said, you will walk in blessing. Do not think for a moment, just because you know that God wants to bless you, that if you walk in dishonor to the things of God's Word, that you will also walk in a blessing. That won't happen. You've got to honor the things of God. Go back to the Old Testament. Take a look at how many times the children of Israel dishonored the things of God. And they did not walk in that blessing. But when they walked in a way to honor the things of God, there was a blessing that came upon them. The same thing for us. In the New Testament, Jesus was dealing with a group of people who did not honor the things of God. They honored Him with their mouth. With their lips, they honored Him. But in their heart, they were not honoring Him. And they were not walking in that blessing. Now it says, It will be well for you. That word well means good or prosperous. In what area of your life will it be good or prosperous? Well, it will be good and prosperous in the area of your life that, that you need it to be good and that you need it to be prosperous. If your life needs certain things in order for it to be well with you or in order for it to be good for you, then those things will go on. Don't disqualify this. Well, you know, I don't need perfect health to be uh, prosperous or I don't need perfect health to, to be well and I don't need all this to be going. No, that's not what it's talking about. But if these things are not going to the direction that we want them to be going or the way that we are expecting, then am I honoring the one who's covering me the way that I should? You know the children who walk in dishonor to their parents, the parents are not, the door is not open for the parents to honor them or to bless them the way that they would like. You may say, boy, I would love to pour out this blessing on you, but just the way that you're walking, mm-mm. And we all know that growing up, because even if we don't have kids, we know that uh, we were a kid once, and when we walked in such a way that we, we were disobedient all day, we weren't doing things, and then we came to mom or dad and we said, hey, can I have this blessing? Uh, no. <laughs> no. And then there, there would be a certain amount of uh, obedience that would be expected. Now, when I was younger, 
you know, the obedience was expected for a day, a week, before any kind of a blessing would come. Uh, you look at some parents today, if we get obedience for an hour, glory to God, pour blessing down upon <laughs> That's not necessarily a good thing, but that's, uh, that's kind of the way that we, we tend to go. Now he does say here, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. So this is a promise that comes if we walk this way. Because if you grow up learning this kind of honoring, this kind of behavior, this kind of heeding to things that are being said, if you walk in such a way as to learn that young, then when you're older, you will continue to do this and heed the things that God speaks and honor the things of God and this is what's going to open you up to a long life. You look at the people in the Word of God, uh, kings, you know, this is where we spend most of our time, kings, prophets, uh, people in the Old Testament that uh, became prominent there. We look at the ones that died and went home early. They weren't honoring to the things of God. They walked in dishonor. They walked in the place of not heeding what God had said. Now, through our example of obedience to God's Word, we testify of the necessity of obedience. You have to have an example yourself of obedience to God's Word. One of the most important things you do as a parent, as a father, as a mother, is your example of obedience to God's Word. Now, this comes in all areas. You cannot pick and choose because your kids are going to look at the areas where you are disobedient. They are not going to look at these ten areas over here where you're obedient. They're going to look at these one or two where you're not. So the Word of God tells us to be anxious for nothing. If they see us being filled with fear, anxious, and worry, guess what? Well, how come you can disobey what God says here, but I'm expected to obey over here? Uh, We're not exemplifying the kind of behavior that we're supposed to do. It's through our example of obedience to God's Word that we testify of the necessity of obedience. We're not teaching our kids that there's a necessity of obedience. Because my example shows them I'm picking and choosing which ones that I want to do. What things are you showing? Through our response in correcting disobedience, we testify of God's character in forgiving sin. He says there, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So how the Lord trains us And how the Lord admonishes us, this is what the fathers are supposed to do. You fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Don't just get in there and try and get them mad. Don't just do things, well, you're going to do this because I said so. Uh, There are times that that may need to come out, but you need to show them an example. Do you really do things that the Word of God says, do this? Do you just do it because God said so? If you're not demonstrating that, how are you going to ask that of your kids? Now, I'm venture that most parents, they don't, they don't demonstrate that. Well, why should we do it this way? Through our response in correcting disobedience, we testify of God's character in forgiving sin. If you keep holding over the sins of the kids, well, you just did this yesterday. Last week, you were doing these kind of things. If you keep bringing that up, but you had to sit down with it, and you sat down, do you understand where you're wrong? Yeah, are you sorry? Uh, Mommy, Daddy, will you forgive me for that? 
and you say yes, and you bring that up in a week, in a month, whatever, you are teaching them through your example that God will hold this over your head for the rest of your days. That's not what we're supposed to be teaching them. We're supposed to be teaching them what the training and admonition of the Lord is. Oh, I don't know if I could do that. Well, it's too late. you got kids. This is what you are supposed to do. If you want those kids to grow up in the admonition and the training of God, then you have to walk in it. You can't sit there and start claiming, well, God, you said that this wouldn't happen to my kids. You said that you would keep them, you would bring them back. Yeah, but if you're not walking the way that God says to walk, then how can God accomplish what He's supposed to accomplish? You've got to set the example for them as the parent. So if you're there flying off the handle, getting upset, and then yell at them because they flew off the handle and got upset. Well, you're yelling at them for following your example. If things didn't go the way that you wanted them to go, and it shows, well, let's, this is the reason why I can be in a bad mood. Uh, if, they, if you give your kids reasons why you are in a bad mood, then they will have reasons for why they're in a bad mood. And they will not understand you correcting them. You've got to train them or raise them in the training and admonition of the Lord. So I've got to learn what the training and admonition of the Lord is so that I can pass this off. Learning how God trains us and admonishes us helps us in our Christian walk. Because if, if God will point out, Steve, you messed up over here. Yes, I did. I obviously stepped outside of your word. And we, uh, I confess it. I ask forgiveness. If I will be raised in the training admonition of the Lord, if I learn it from the Word of God, I know He's not bringing it up to me down the road. So when it starts being brought up to me down the road, I don't get mad. God, why are you bringing this up to me? I say, get thee behind me, Satan. My God's not bringing that up. We already took care of that. See, it changes how I walk with God. But you've got to be careful. Especially dads. This is written to dads, but you've got to make sure, moms, you don't walk in this either. But this is specifically to, to dads. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now, the part that doesn't say here, but you have to watch out for, is moms, you're going to try and get in the way of that training and admonition of the Lord because you've got a heart that says, oh, the poor baby. And the dad doesn't have that heart. The dad does not have that heart that says, oh, poor baby. The dad says, you messed up. Now, here's, here's what we're doing. But you can't, as a dad, you can't go to the spot that you start... Let's just read it. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. You're not there just to make them mad. Well, I got them mad, so I guess I at least did something. No, probably not. You need to get involved there. You need to explain this to them. Get them to understand. Does God just get you mad? Does God just say, I'm in a bad mood today? This is not how God operates. That is the example that I am to follow. And if you as a father can't follow the example of God the Father, then your walk with God the Father is not where it needs to be. Don't take it out on your kids. You need to get that walk with the Father to where it needs to be. What you're seeing is, these, these kids of mine are bringing out this bad side of me. Man, this is not good. I can't get mad at them for bringing out this bad side of me. It can't be that well, if they just weren't here, if they weren't doing these things, 
I wouldn't be having this, this breakdown right now. No, the problem you're having with the breakdown is because you don't understand how God operates and you're not operating the way that God operates. You're operating the way your flesh wants to operate. You're operating the way that you want to operate. Maybe you're operating the way that you were trained when you were young to operate. you got to get out of that. Our response in correcting disobedience, we testify of God's character in forgiving sin. What are you demonstrating to them? Yeah, but they keep making the same mistake. i got to let them know they keep making... No, you don't. If God doesn't do it to us, there is no benefit in you doing it to them. Otherwise, you're telling God, well, God, you don't do this to me. But obviously, if you did, I would have responded better because I'm going to do this to my kids. Uh, no. Here's another one. Through our quickness to repent of our sin, we testify of God's character to love a sinner. As an, as an earthly father, there are going to be times that you make mistakes with your kids. And you better be quick to say, I was in a bad mood. I shouldn't have thrown that vase. I shouldn't have uh, uh, broken that plate or whatever it might be. I shouldn't have spoken to you in that way. I was wrong for doing that. Will you forgive me? Well, God doesn't ask me to forgive. Because God's perfect. He doesn't need to ask us for forgiveness. But sometimes I mess up. And how quick you are will teach your kids about forgiveness. It will teach your kids about how, how much God loves a sinner. Otherwise, you're going to be teaching those children God doesn't love sinners when you sin. He needs you to be perfect. Where do you think this attitude comes from? I need to get better before I come to God. Because the fathers that we had taught it to us. They taught us, you need to stop this or I'm going to quit loving you. Or I'm going to quit doing these things for you if you keep these things up. So anybody that, that is subordinate to us, we have to make sure that we follow these, these things. Even people in the workplace. I had a quote written down, Few things are harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. That's Mark Twain. Few things are harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. Make sure that you are giving off that good example. It'll annoy some people, <laughs> but do it anyway. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. When we magnify the sin of others, we fortify it in them. When we magnify the sin in others, we fortify it in them. You don't want to do that. If you're going to take your kids and whatever imperfections they have, if you're going to take those people that are subordinate to you, if you're going to take those people that you are a spiritual mentor to, and you take the imperfections they have and you magnify them, you bring them out onto the stage. You bring them out so that the whole family gets to hear about this problem that this one has. That's not going to help. You are you're magnifying it, but all you're going to do is... Uh, is fortify this thing in them. God does not do that. The Word of God says that love covers a multitude of sins. If there's something that's going on with the child, if there's something that's going on with someone who's subordinate to you, if there's something that's going on with uh, someone that you are a spiritual mentor to, uh, it doesn't do any good to bring this out in the open. You all know it if you were in a workplace and a boss came along 
and uh, you made a mistake and just brought it out to the whole. Everybody, look at this. This person made this error and just embarrasses you. That doesn't help you. God doesn't do it to us, but if we do it to the people that are under us, if we do it to children, if we magnify that sin in them, we fortify it in them. We don't, we don't tear it down. We fortify it. We also create a wrong image of themselves and God. And we create a strong image of their faults. Create a wrong image of themselves and God and a strong image of their faults. A lot of times we see these disorders that go on with, with people like a, an eating disorder is because people magnified the wrong things in their life. And they brought attention to the wrong things. And um, I think I've shared this story at least once or twice before, but uh, there was a... Uh, when I was in the church and I was the assistant pastor of it, uh, there's this one uh, ruler in the church, one, one elder, and he had three daughters. And I think all three daughters had eating disorders. And so when I came along and, and they saw me and I, I came on in because I was still very much into the running and the racing scene and I was doing a lot of things in there. So I was very disciplined in what I would eat, what I would drink, uh, very, dis- very, very disciplined about it all. And if it didn't uh, fit into my definition of what was going to make me a better runner, it was off the diet. I did not touch it. And so uh, he saw this, the father in this, this situation saw this, and decided that I had too much control over my diet. And because of that, he actually pulled me aside one time and said, I think this is going to be, this, this is a disorder in you. Uh, he was trying to relate to me the disorder his, his daughters had of eating, because I controlled what it was that was in my diet. I laughed in his face. I didn't do that with too many spiritual leaders in the, in the church, but I laughed in his face. And I simply told him, I says, do you know how many calories I consume in the course of a day? No, I don't. I said, of course you don't, because you don't ask me. You don't talk to me. You don't see what I eat. You just hear about those things that I don't eat. But let me tell you this, and I told him how many calories I had to make sure that I ate in a day to accomplish what I needed to do. I said, I'm on a scale. I don't own a scale to make sure that I don't gain too much weight. I'm on a scale to make sure that I didn't lose weight. Because that's all I care about. I make sure that I'm at the same weight today that I was yesterday before I go out there and run and, and trace and, and, and do all that. So I said, if you can't handle someone having control over that and they're going to relate it to this, then you know, just butt out of people's lives. I was nasty with them. But he was getting nasty with other people. He's trying to, he was one of those people who wanted to try and control others through his supernatural spiritual knowledge. Then I'd have no part of it. He wasn't going to make that way. In the, in the, I had no respect for the man and the things that he would do. And he brought this thing on his daughters because of the way that they did it. If you are not careful about the things that you magnify in the, the children as they're growing up, you can cause these things to, to come out. And so we see... A lot of that. Our society now, you know, it's making our girls look at look at the models that are out there, look at the the outfits that are on it. There's there's pressure to be a certain way, and there's no uh, no differential for for body types. Uh, you know, some people's body type is just not made to be super thin. They're they're fighting their body. That's just not the way that their body type is. It's, and if you go against that, if you say, well, daughter, you need to fit this mold, you need to become like this, well, that body type might not be there. Uh, who's the, 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 big, ten, the big tennis star? Is it uh, Serena Williams? 
I mean, that body type does not fit the model. But she's a beast of a tennis player. <laughs> but she has bigger muscles. She has bigger bones. She's never going to become... That body, if she tries to discipline it to become what they say that you ought to become, or to try and become like a gymnast, uh, no, that's just not going to happen. It's, it's, it's not going to be that way. Depending upon the kind of body type you have as a, as a woman, you might become a ballerina or a gymnast or you might become someone who's a track star or you might become a piano, whatever. There's all kinds of things that you can become, but uh, you can't fight your body. I'll tell you right now, you know, any, anybody, male or female, you're going to have small bone, medium-sized bone, and large bones. And large bones require larger muscles around the larger bones. It's just the way that it goes. You know, a defensive lineman, are generally, they're large bone people. And they generally have a lot of muscle around those large bones. And if they uh, discipline themselves, they can put extra muscle on those large bones and that large frame can handle it. Those, those large muscles wouldn't set real well on my frame. It, just, it wouldn't work out so well. And I, I told you before, I've had people years telling me, you're too thin, you're too small, you're, you're too this. And uh, I was comfortable. I'm still comfortable with it. Now, it took me a while to get comfortable and that all these people were telling me, you need to become this, that, or the other thing. And just to say, you know what, forget it. I don't need to, to hear what you said to say about that. And I just became what I am. But you, your body will all times tell you this is what it's going to be. So don't feel that kind of pressure. But make sure you don't put that kind of pressure on other people. Because we're putting the, the wrong thing. We're going to give them the wrong image of themselves. And we're going to give them the wrong image of God. And they're going to have a strong image of their faults. We also demonstrate our own willingness to live submitted. Am I showing the people that are under me? Whether it be at work. Whether it be at home in the family. Whether it be uh, people that I'm a uh, spiritual uh, mentor to. Am I showing them a willingness to live submitted? Or am I basically just hiding my own selfish desire to be submitted to myself behind a spiritual front? And there is a host of people who do that. Boy, they irritate me. They try and pass it off as something spiritual. They're just submitted to themselves. They do what they want because they like doing it, because they like the attention that it gets them, but they are not submitted at all to God. But they pass it off as if they are. They are going to be their own authority. But we are to be under God's authority. And that's the thing we have to decide on to do. Now, in the kingdom of God, the example always starts with the one in the superior position. It does not start with the children. We don't start this example with the children because the children are behaving the way they are. The parents can, obey the way they, can behave the way they are. No. Before we ever came to God, who came to us first? God did. Before we ever did anything for God, who did for us first? Before we ever loved God, who loved us first? Before we ever forgave anybody, who forgave us first? See, it always starts with the superior position. If you are in the superior position, then it needs to start with you. If you're in the superior position at work, then the right attitude needs to start with you. Don't be waiting there for the employees to have the right attitude. If you're in the family, the, the right attitude needs to be with mom and dad 
It doesn't start with the kids. We've got to make sure that we, we walk that way. Because that's the example we have in the Word of God. Don't expect your children or those that are under you to do what you fail to demonstrate. And just because you demonstrate it doesn't mean they're going to follow it. Doesn't God demonstrate a whole lot of things to us that we don't follow? Didn't Moses demonstrate a whole lot of things to Israel that they didn't follow? Just because it's demonstrated doesn't mean it will be followed. And it doesn't mean that the demonstrator was wrong. But it could be. You need to check it out. So, evil spirits, sin, our flesh, stuff like that, it does not obey you because of your position. Sometimes we get this confused. I think that evil spirits are subjected to me because of my position. I think that sin, my flesh, are subjected to me because of my position. I think that sickness and disease is subjected because of my position, because I'm in Jesus and all these sort of things that we say. Now, if this were so, if that simple truth was the case, then sin, then evil spirits, then sickness and disease would obey all Christians. If it was just position. They obey because of your voice, because of their subordinate position. If you speak something, they are subordinate to your voice. And that's why they obey. But you don't speak anything, they don't obey. Remember in the, in the um, Mark chapter 9, when the disciples had that demon boy and they couldn't, um, they couldn't get the demon to drive out? How come we couldn't cast out that spirit? They, they couldn't get it done. Why? Because obviously they were there in the name of Jesus. They were, they were casting the thing out, but it didn't go. They had gotten into a place because of the way that this spirit carried on. They had gotten to the place they were trying to persuade it to go. But it doesn't listen to your persuasion. It listens to your voice. So Jesus came along and he did his voice and it left. See, the demon spirits, if the sickness and disease can get you into a place where you think you have to persuade them to go, well, I need to fast more. I need to know more of the Word. I need to get more convinced. And you come into something, i got to do something to persuade it more. Then it's not heeding your voice. If you say nothing, they have nothing to obey. And there's a whole lot of Christians that are talked into silence. And they say nothing. Because we say nothing, they have nothing to obey. If you and your voice are not subordinate to Jesus... Why would they heed your voice? They're not going to. Now, here's an important thing. I, I kind of asked her, you can write this down and they've got some space in there. As a Christian, are you not subordinate to God until such time as you act otherwise? When you become born again, are you not subordinate to God? 
And do you not continue to be subordinate until something comes up that you decide, I'm going to do my own thing? Then you become what? Insubordinate. But you are not insubordinate even if you don't know all the things you're supposed to do. You are still not insubordinate until the choice comes up. Until you realize, I could do this. God has asked me to do this. I could go this way or I could go this way. You may go against some of the things that God tells you to do, but I don't know them yet. I haven't got that revelation, so I'm not walking in an insubordinate way because I don't know them. But the more that you learn and the more that you know, the more submission you can walk into, the more submitted you can be, and the more submitted you are, then the more things have to submit to you. They will heed your voice. But until you hit a spot where you decide to do your own thing instead of what God has revealed to you to do, you are not insubordinate. But how many of y'all know we came to that place quite a few times? Where I got revelation, I'm supposed to do this, I'm not supposed to do this, and I don't do it. Now, I'm in an insubordinate spot, and I need to get that fixed. This gave me greater understanding in Brother Hagin's stories when he was talking about obeying the voice of the Spirit so that God could use him in other areas of authority. Remember those sons I've shared with you a few times? God said, because you obeyed in this area of when I asked you to give money over here. And I, see, he had demonstrated a greater level of um, subordination than he had had before. He had demonstrated it. And so because of that, God was able to use him in a greater area as well. So it helps us to learn more what God wants us to do and to walk in obedience or basically to heed his voice. Because then... We walk in a greater place and more will walk in, our, in the authority that we speak because they will heed the things that we say. But if you're going to walk in line with what Jesus did when he spoke to the wind, when he spoke to the waves, when he spoke to the demon spirits, when he speaks to sickness and disease, if you're going to walk in that, you've got to say something. Not think it, not pray it, not ask God for it. You've got to speak the thing and say it. This. Well, so, in the name of Jesus. And you command these particular things. You come into subordination to His will. How He said to do it. He didn't say pray to God. He said speak to it. I come into subordination with that. I come in line with it. And then you speak it. But you have to understand. You are not here to persuade them. Don't feel like if something is continuing to go on. You haven't persuaded them enough. There's a different Greek word he could have used if that's what he was trying to get across. He was not trying to get that across. He's saying these things are in, in a subordinate position and if you speak the word, they will heed. So what is it you need in your life to be heeded to the things that you, that you say? Speak to it. Don't accept that thought. I've got to persuade them. I've got to be more forceful. I've got to know more. I gotta do whatever. That's not what the Word of God teaches us. So, Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you that we can speak to these things and that they will change. That there is a heeding that goes on to the words that are spoken. So the sickness and disease, the evil spirits, the situations that come up against us, the wind and the waves, they desire that we don't speak. They try and find ways 
to get us to stifle our words. We get pressure from other Christians. We get pressure from other expectations. We get pressure because we feel like a failure at other times. But I thank you that we can walk in obedience to what your word says and do the things that you say to do. And these things will heed the words that we speak. Give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Any comments or questions? Jesus is not your father. Father, Jesus is not your father. God the Father is God the Father, and Jesus is the Son. Yep. But the Word of God tells us that when you ask the Father in prayer, we go to the Father. But it don't make any difference to me if you go to Jesus. He'll pass it on. He'll pass it on. Jesus will pass it on if it needs to be passed on. He's sitting there. He's sitting right there next to the Father. I'll pass it on if you need to. It was a good subject. It was very good. Good. Ethel. Okay, I didn't get all of... Oh, it's not a question. I did have a lot of blanks in there, didn't I? Well, no, I didn't get all of... We are seeking to repent. That's the, the second the blank. That's after four. Uh, B4. Second one. Through our response in correcting disobedience, we testify of God's character in forgiving sin. Through our quickness to repent of our sin, we testify of God's character to love a sinner. Through our quickness to repent of our sin, we testify of God's character to love a sinner. To love a sinner. Oh, I did skip over that. I really was only giving you, I wasn't going to spend a whole lot of time on the paddle of spank. Those are the verses that talk about paddle, the, that we are to paddle and we are to spank. But uh, yeah, I did skip this one. But a paddle without instruction becomes provocation. Paddle without instruction becomes provocation. you got people out there that just, uh, sometimes a spanking is just a reason to hit their kid. Because they're angry, they're mad. And that's just provocation. No, you need to pull it aside. You need to have instruction. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I meant to read all that stuff over. I was going to spend time on the Proverbs 3 and, right. and all that. I just put that in there so you can go look it up. I'm sure most people understand that by now. That we are to paddle, we are to spank. But don't just yank them over and smack their bottom. That's not going to, there's got to be an instruction. Got to be taken aside. And don't do it in such a way as to embarrass them. That's not going to help them. God does not embarrass us in discipline. He corrects us. 